Um, and the county says, well, the goal isn't to make it safe, the goal is to make it safer. But I think spending $50 million to make it safer and still not really resolving the issue, I think the preservation community, and I think a lot of people in Howard County have an issue with that. Howard County, 911. Oh my God. Ma'am, what's going on? We are at Dean Hollow in Old Elkin City on Frederick Road. The water is above the doors, coming in the building. We need somebody to come in. The first, first thing I remember is like, oh my gosh, the water is up to the balcony on Obla D. Hello? Hi, this is 911. Somebody said this number just called and hung up. Is everybody okay? No, there's water in my store. It's flooding in Ellicott City. The threat of a flood had become the new normal on Main Street. The, the next, the door, next door won't open. We can't get out the back and there's a lot of water. It also... We're rolling our dice on a storm by storm basis. Okay, well, are we gonna die? <laughs> no, honey, I'm gonna do my best so that does not happen, okay? You want me to stay in the line with you for a minute? Jane? Jane? This is Ellicott City. Historic town, historic water. we spoke to Bruce Taylor. His family built the Kaplan's building and helped develop much of the real estate in institutions like Taylor Manor Hospital, which is now known as Shepherd Pratt in and around Ellicott City. As you heard, he is a supporter of Howard County's current flood mitigation plan. The plan is controversial because it calls for the demolition and removal of 10 buildings along Main Street, right in the historic district. Of the individuals and groups who are against removal of the structures, many would say that Nicholas Redding is chief among them. Nicholas is the Executive Director of Preservation Maryland, and I'll let him tell you what Preservation Maryland is and does. He can do a much better job of that than I. I met Mr. Redding earlier this year on September 17th at his office in the Clipper Mill, Woodbury neighborhood of Baltimore. Tell me about Preservation Maryland. So Preservation Maryland is the statewide preservation advocacy organization for Maryland. Um, we've been in operation since 1931, so we're one of the oldest statewide preservation groups in the country. And our work focuses in a couple different strategic areas. We do a lot of education and outreach, we have conferences, we run our own podcast called PreserveCast. We have a big, robust, bold website with a lot of content. Uh, we do publications and um, try and get information out about preservation. We have a funding component, so we give money to projects all across the state. And uh, we also have an advocacy component. And what advocacy means to us is both proactive and reactive. So I'd say the vast majority, maybe 80 to 90% of our advocacy work is proactive. It's trying to put the policies and funding in place that makes preservation possible. 
But then there's also that piece of advocacy, which is reactive, which is if we weren't able to take a proactive stance and save a place, then sometimes we need to speak out when something is threatened or endangered. And we do that uh, when either there isn't a local partner on the ground who is um, capable of doing it, or perhaps there just isn't one that exists, uh, or there's a local partner that really needs our help, and we think that there's a statewide precedent being set, or even a larger precedent. As you heard from Howard County historians Sean Gladden and Paulette Lutz in Episode 3, Howard County is chock full of historic and regional importance. It is exactly the type of town that historic preservation organizations were founded to appraise, curate, and protect. In the state of Maryland, Ellicott City is prime preservation turf. Sure, I mean, Ellicott City is probably one of the crown jewels of of historic places in the state. it is unique from a variety of different perspectives, um, unique in its establishment um, with the, the, the Ellicott brothers, these Quakers who come and um, set up this industrial town. It really is one of the communities that are sort of the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution in the United States. It is also a place where um, railroads make their debut. It is a place that is, because of the influence of the B&O Railroad, changes, changes the place dramatically, has the oldest passenger rail station probably in the world that's still left, which is pretty cool. And the building stock there is very interesting, very unique. It has unique topography, which also is a challenge. It sits uh, at, the, at the edge of the Patapsco River, um, and there are a variety of different tributaries that run down the hill to there, which provided um, water power. It is just, it's a, it's a place that when you go there, you recognize that you're in an authentic historic place. It is, you know, unadulterated, it is real, it's authentic. And places like that are few and far between. We don't have a lot of them. And so when we do, um, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that they're protected for the next generation. You know, and Preservation Maryland has been working for generations to protect places like this. Now it's time for us to get to the water and to the buildings. This is how Preservation Maryland responded in July of 2016 when the first major flood hit. Sure. So in 2016, um, there was a devastating flood in Ellicott City and Preservation Maryland to that point had not really been involved in a lot of disaster response, but we saw a historic community um, just imperiled by the results of that flood. And so we launched our first real disaster response effort in the organization's history. And what that meant was initially, um, we got on the ground and started helping the Maryland Historical Trust, which is a state agency with doing some disaster surveys. So we went out, took pictures, identified what had happened to the buildings. And then the county moved pretty quickly um, to identify some structures that they felt were structurally unsound and had to be demolished. And so we brought in engineers of our own um, at our expense to um, work to identify ways of saving those structures. And after the 2016 flood, not a single building came down you know, in part, perhaps large part, because of those efforts. So we saved buildings, you know, there were, there were two structures which um, 
had lost their party wall, so the wall that stands between them. They were basically just kind of hovering there. I remember talking and standing with the engineer and saying, why are they still standing? It seems like they're missing a part. And I, you know, I'm not an engineer, but why are they still standing? And he said, I think just out of habit. Um, so uh, there were some pretty um, wild situations there. And, and then what we did was we were, we were fortunate that we were able to raise some funds um, to support hiring some staff, putting them on the ground. We opened up a field office that was open for a, for a full year. And that field office um, provided technical assistance, helped people with grant applications, tax credits, worked through the Historic Preservation Commission process with them, connected them with contractors, engineers. We did everything we possibly could to help folks. And then at the tail end of this effort, we also partnered with Historic Ellicott City, which is a, a group that's a local preservation group there. And we worked with them to distribute $50,000 in grants to projects throughout the district um, in a revitalization grant program. So we actually put some real money on the ground and uh, we participated in that and, and helped support that. So there was a considerable amount of work and effort on our part and the part of many to try and, and save the community after that harrowing flood in 2016. Hindsight is always 2020. And it's easy to question why the county, civic leaders, or even preservationists didn't try to do more to protect against this type of floodwater destruction after July of 2016. Whenever I did ask the question, the answer I received, regardless of what side of the building removal debate they were on, was largely the same. Here's Nicholas's response. You know, in, in 2016, the focus really was in getting things back together. And I think at that moment, we sort of took on our role as, as work, trying to work with property owners, um, something like this had really never been seen before. And so the goal was to work with these property owners and to try and put the pieces back together. I think that everyone expected and anticipated that the county would be working swiftly to do some of those mitigation efforts. And um, to their credit, they went out and, and hired McCormick Taylor to do a, a report that identified a lot of those things that came out in 2017, about a year after the flood. And I think that everyone was pretty optimistic that that's where they would go and what the direction would be over the coming years. Then May 2018 came, and by now, if you listen to the podcast, you know how shocking this was to the community. Flooding. <laughs> well, it was Memorial, the, the 2018 flood came on Memorial Day weekend, um, so like a lot of people, uh, I was traveling. I was up with my family in Buffalo, New York, and jumped on Twitter just out of um, habit, I guess. I think my daughter was taking a nap. Had some time to myself, jumped on Twitter, take a look on my phone, and saw these terrifying pictures coming out of Ellicott City. Couldn't believe what I was seeing. Initially, I think like a lot of people, I thought people were resharing pictures of the 16 flood, and so I furiously tried to figure out if this was really happening, started texting people, calling people, and come to find out this was really happening. So got the staff on a conference call to start figuring out what it is we were going to do. Um, and we knew that this time was going to be different um, because we had just helped a lot of people put the pieces back together and identify resources and connect them to what they needed. And so they didn't need some of those tools again because they had just gone through it you know somebody just got a contractor they don't need our help finding a contractor again so we realized pretty quickly our role was going to change and obviously it changed quite a bit once the county um, rolled out the plan that they did so here we are again 
back at the 2018 Howard County Flood Mitigation Plan, the Kittleman-Weinstein Plan. In episode one and two, you heard Shelley Wygant and Charles Kyler, active residents in the Ellicott City community, express their dissatisfaction with the flood mitigation proposal. In episode four, Bruce Taylor, owner of two of the buildings targeted for demolition, one of them being a building his family constructed themselves, the Kaplan's department store had a very different opinion. He thinks the plan is pragmatic and well thought out. He strongly supports it. So I asked Nicholas Redding about Preservation Maryland's position on the proposal. So, you know, as as you mentioned, the plan basically says that we're going to take down a, a good chunk of the historic structures at the lower end of town in order to mitigate and potentially reduce floodwaters um, in that part of the town. I think, honestly, if the plan and the science behind it was able to substantively reduce floodwaters in that lower part of town or perhaps eliminate them, the preservation community wouldn't be in a real tough position, you know, because it would be very hard to say, well, we shouldn't do that in light of the fact that it's eliminating these floods. I mean, that, that would be a tough position to be in. But that's not the position we're in. The position we're in is that this plan is currently structured and even, you know, admittedly by the county's own admission, takes floodwaters in that part of town from perhaps six to eight feet to four to six feet. When you have water that high at the velocity that it's traveling, it's still too dangerous to do swift water rescue. Someone can't stand in that. It's, it's, it's not safe. Um, And the county says, well, the goal isn't to make it safe, the goal is to make it safer. But I think spending $50 million to make it safer and still not really resolving the issue, I think the preservation community and I think a lot of people in Howard County have an issue with that. And so we've made it clear that we think that there are perhaps better alternatives, that the county should implement the mitigation strategies that they identified, um, you know, over a year ago. And that this demolition proposal and component of the plan, we need to take a pause here and figure out the science behind it and identify whether or not um, we're really getting the results we want and whether or not it's a good return on investment for a $50 million um, cost. One question I have for you is that I've spoken to some of the engineers who've worked on this plan and some of their pushback to the criticism while they understand it and that losing older structures, especially in a town like Ellicott City, isn't ideal. They say they've looked at all the feasible alternatives to avoid demolition and none of them worked and well satisfactorily and that an engineering perspective is different from, say, a preservationist perspective. What would you say to that? Well, I I think that you know, I'm not trying to represent myself as an engineer, but I have read all the reports and I can come to the same conclusions that they can, which is back to that same answer. They're taking floodwaters in the lower end of town and reducing them from six to eight feet to four to six feet. And you don't have to be an engineer to recognize that that is not substantively reducing the flood threat in the lower end of town. And, uh, and to the point about engineering, we are doing some follow-up work on our own with some engineers to, to really take a look at what the county did because we're, cause I'm not an engineer. Um, so we are working with some experts right now to see where that all stands. You know, but I, I think back to that point about 
you know, is this safer? Is this safe? And is demolishing structures the lower end of town that are being caused by a problem that starts above, is that really the best way of doing this? I mean, sort of the, the funny analogy that we've come up with here in the office is, if you broke your leg twice, would you amputate it? And just like he said, about three weeks after our interview, Preservation Maryland released what they described as a third party engineering report that called into question the county's flood mitigation strategy. In the report, the engineering firm Simpson, Gumperts, and Hager Incorporated concluded, quote, we believe that flood mitigation strategies which address both life safety concerns and preservation of the historic character of Ellicott City have not been fully vetted by Howard County, end quote. That report was released on October 9th, and it can be found on the Preservation Maryland website, preservationmaryland.org. The Howard County plan can be found on their website as well, howardcountymd.gov. I would highly recommend that listeners to this podcast read them both. Something that you will see mentioned in the Preservation Maryland report is tunnel boring. I'm not going to get into the weeds on this, I'm not. <laughs> Very simply, a tunnel boring strategy is a tunnel that would start at a point above the historic district and it would divert flood water from the Tiber and other runoff under Main Street through a large drilled pipeline and it would run it below the residential and commercial areas into the Patapsco. Many of the supporters of the use of this type of technology have been bantering about it on social media. One plan in particular has affectionately been dubbed the Big Ass Pipe Plan. I asked Nicholas if he or the engineering firm that they contracted were investigating the Big Ass Pipe. Well, I don't know if we're going to specifically have them look at the BAP, if you will, um, but, uh, but we are interested in tunnel boring. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, it's interesting, if you looked at the McCormick-Taylor study, um, one of the things it said is basically the only way we could eliminate flooding completely is by doing tunnel boring, which you think, wow, they've come up with a way of eliminating flooding completely. You would imagine, a reasonable person would imagine, you don't have to be an engineer, but you could imagine that if that was the way in which you could eliminate flooding, that you probably would study it a little bit, right? You're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. I have no, no idea how much money the county spent on the McCormick-Taylor study, but I'm sure it wasn't cheap. Um, if you're going to spend all that money, you would think, well, let's investigate it. Let's figure out how much it would cost and how you, how you would do it, since that's the way you could actually eliminate flooding. You would think that. It wasn't done. And that seems very strange to me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting conspiracy here, um, but you just sit there and you scratch your head and you go, well, why? I spent all this time in this report and, and the way in which you could eliminate flooding is given a half paragraph and no thorough vetting. I mean, at the very least, you'd like to know how much it's gonna cost. It, let's say it costs $200 million. Okay, well then you rule it out and you say, well, we can't do that in the preservation community and everybody else agrees. But to tell us that we can't do tunnel boring, but not give us any of the information. How can you make a decision without information? You know, and how is the public supposed to come to the conclusion that that's not realistic when they don't know how much it's gonna cost? I think that that is a major flaw um, of the, the study and of the county's evaluation of it. Um, and it's only, um, you know, it only makes sense that locals would start pushing this idea about what about this big pipe? Could we do something like this? 
Um, and from everything we've heard, it's, it's certainly possible. Something else that happened after my conversation with Nicholas is that the Howard County Council, in a narrow three to two vote, approved a bill that would allocate about $17 million toward the first phase of the mitigation plan, which would include the removal of the 10 buildings in question on Main Street. The bill was passed with a controversial amendment attached to it, which I'll talk about later in, in another episode. But for now, just know that the county has the funds to purchase the buildings from Bruce Taylor and other owners so they can move forward with their plans to demolish them. So the county, even in the face of very organized opposition, has not, as of this recording, changed its course. But the opposition has not grown wary. I had this conversation with Nicholas a couple of weeks before the funding vote. I asked him at that time if he thought things would get more difficult if the bill passed and the project obtained funding. Well, I think the, the county and the proponents of the plan would like you to think that it's a done deal and that everything is moving forward. And, you know, I've worked in advocacy for a while now, and I've seen this many times before. When someone comes up with a plan that they want to ram through, they call it a done deal and they say there's no way to stop it because that feels like momentum or it, it's a way of suggesting there's momentum that perhaps there isn't. I, I don't know where the votes are on the council. I don't think anybody does. So there's a, there's a big question mark there. They're going to require, you know, in Howard County, they need the Historic Preservation Commission to say yes to the demolitions. And the meeting that happened last week with the Historic Preservation Commission suggested that the Historic Preservation Commission felt that the county had provided none of the information necessary to make that kind of decision. So there's a bit of a stumbling block there. You can have the money, but unless you have the approvals, that's a challenge. And... You know, I guess the question is, can they pull it all together, get it all in a position and get the votes together before the election? Because, you know, we have a lame duck council, largely. And so uh, logistically, can they can they do all of that? And I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not a parliamentarian, but I know it's a challenge because there's a blackout period before the election in terms of voting and the election's coming up soon. And you know, there's a lot of big questions out there. And, and then, you know, not to mention that in order to fund this, they're basically raiding the county's road resurfacing funds, um, eliminating a fire station that had been planned for several years. I would imagine, you know, I'm not a Howard County resident, um, but I imagine Howard County taxpayers may have something to say about that. Particularly, you know, comes comes back to that same point. If the county said, look, taxpayers, we're stopping flooding in Elkett City to do this, so we have to do it. I think very people would probably say, all right, you're right. But to say, well, we're going to, maybe take it from a six-foot flood and turn it into a six-foot flood, which realistically is what they're saying, to eliminate fire stations, to eliminate road resurfacing, to do all of that and impact a big county, of which Ellicott City is just one little community within it. You know, I'm interested to see where the public is on that, and I think we're going to hear some of that at some of these council meetings and public hearings that are coming up. Um, So back to your initial question, is this a done deal? No, it's not a done deal until there's a vote. Well, as I said, the bill narrowly passed 3-2 to on October 1st. However, on November 6th, in a couple of weeks, the county council is up for re-election. So just as we are seeing in our U.S. Supreme Court, a swing vote can radically change the direction of public policy. So stay tuned. One thing that did change on October 15th, and note that I'm recording this episode on October 21st, is... An amendment that was added to the funding bill that passed on October 1st was removed. I mentioned that earlier. That amendment would have required the county's Historic Preservation Commission to approve projects that provide protection against 
quote, threats to public safety, end quote. That amendment was denounced by a number of preservationist groups and other residents that feared that it would strip the commission of its independence and quickly advance the timeline of the demolition. In other words, if the county could make the case that they needed to knock these buildings down for public safety, the Historic Preservation Commission would be powerless to stop it. So the fate of those buildings is still very much up in the air. Finally, Nicholas, there's a sentiment among some of the folks with whom I've spoken that Preservation Maryland and the others who are opposed to the current flood mitigation plan, uh, that you're, you value buildings over human life. They feel like your priorities are misplaced. They're in the wrong place. What would your response to such comments be? First and foremost, we are not tone deaf or unsympathetic to the real trauma that these floods have caused. You know, Preservation Maryland is not an organization that saves buildings for buildings' sake, right? We save buildings because they make communities better. Um, we are invested and interested in historic preservation because we think it's a tool for community revitalization and um, community prosperity. So we are not unsympathetic to the trauma that this has caused. Um, and we are not interested in just saving buildings over lives. Um, but again, if you look at what this plan suggests, it doesn't make it safe. If you're down in that area and you get trapped in four to six foot floodwaters, you could still lose your life. Um, and in terms of, you know, I think part of the, the challenge here too is um, a lot of these folks don't want to be saddled with, and I can completely understand this, structures that perhaps are no longer commercially viable or um, you know, they, can, they can't afford the cost of rebuilding. And we are not as an organization saying that they should be saddled with that or they, they should be forced to rebuild. Um, we're not opposed to public acquisition. Perhaps public acquisition in that part of town makes sense. What we're concerned about and what we're opposed to at this moment, given the information and the stats we've seen, is public acquisition and then demolition of those structures. It doesn't make it safer and you know, the, the economic livelihood and the future of Ellicott City hangs in the balance because of that. Um, and so that's where we stand. Um, and I, I think first and foremost, we're um, aware of the need for some closure and um, aware of the real trauma that these floods have caused. It's been out, at least I got the email, it's been less than 24 hours. Have you heard anything from anybody that you'd like to share from the no, city? No, we have, we, have not, we have not. We let Alan and John know a couple of weeks ago um, that we intended on releasing a, an independent third-party review, and they mm -hmm. said, you know, so be it. Yeah. Um, looking forward to, to reading it. So we hope that they're taking a close look at it. Good, good. Okay, Nicholas, well, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man. You've certainly been... Working hard since the last time I saw you. 
And I always, and I always... <laughs> well, so have you. I'm looking forward to this series. We're gonna we're gonna sit around the the uh, the, the office table here and, and I'll tune in. Well, good, good. I, I <laughs> it, it, I'm getting quite a bit. Well, like you said, I mean, it's just the story keeps growing. You know, there's I just know, a lot I know. of information. Well, get some out, get some out, and, and we will we will promote too. Okay, so. great, fantastic. All right, all good. right. Talk to you soon, Howard. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's the end of a short phone call I had with Nicholas Redding on October 10th, the day after Preservation Maryland released their third-party engineering evaluation of the flood mitigation plan. The Allen and John he mentioned were, of course, Kittleman and Weinstein, the county officials most closely identified with the plan. I decided to play that because my separate conversations with executive Alan Kittleman. So it reminds me of the commercial we had, they had used a long time ago, pay me now or pay me later. I'd rather invest now to avoid the cost later, and more importantly, to avoid the cost of life later. And I think this is actually a very cost-effective plan uh, that will preserve the economic viability of Ellicott City. And County Councilman John Weinstein. Well, I would say um, that uh, the fact that they feel the plan was rushed is, is just simply incorrect. I mean, as I said, I, I've been working on, on flooding since 2011, and this uh, administration has been working on it since day one of the administration. We'll be on the next episode of Ellicott City, Historic Town, Historic Water. Ellicott City, Historic Town, Historic Water is a production of the Fletcher Group Incorporated in collaboration with the Number One Two Podcast. Original music is by Gordon Roberts. Our exit track is The Rain Song, written and performed by Voices Three. I'm Howard R. Fletcher. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.